Welcome to Inside the Hashes Air It Out podcast. My name is Juan Gori, and I'm joined by a room filled with some analysts here. I got I got Chris right here on my right, and I got Jerome on my left. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? What's up? Where's Avery? Ah, uh, Avery, Avery cannot join us today. Unfortunately, he is out working, getting that money. You know how it is out in this world. He got it, though. In the meantime, before we jump into some football stuff, I got to just give a quick shout-out in terms of pop culture-wise. I don't know if you guys saw the Oscars, but... Uh, my guy, Remy Malik won Best Actor for his portrayal as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. And I got to tell you guys, I saw that movie twice. Mm. First with my girlfriend, the other time with my parents. And I just could not get enough on how well this guy played one of the greatest musicians of all time. What were your guys' thoughts on the Oscar? I still have to watch that movie, so don't give me any spoilers. I do want to watch it. I just don't have time to. But I, I, I believe my guy... Bradley Cooper got uh, Oscar with um, what's her name? Damn, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. There you go. There you go. So Philadelphia native. Appreciate. I like it. Appreciate it. It's cool. I love it. Uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, do we need to say what the movie was? Also, Jerome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the movie? What was the movie? Uh, I saw this one. <laughs> go ahead. Um, no, but um, shout out to. Um, um, Shamik Moore and uh, the rest of the cast, Jake Johnson and everyone else for Enter the Spider-Verse for winning Animated Picture of the Year. Oh uh, just watching the, the visuals, um, the multi-Spider-Vents, the, the, the color palettes, it was visually aesthetic to watch. I regret only seeing Spider-Verse once. I saw it mm. in, Mexico, in Mexico on vacation. Uh, I, I wanted to see it again in theaters when I came back to the U.S., but I just didn't have the time to do it. So I'm planning to, like, to buy the Blu-ray DVD when it comes out and just watch it. So many times. Yeah, really I good, don't really, really buy good DVDs movie. unless they're worth it, but End of the Spider-Verse was definitely worth it. Definitely. Oh, definitely, definitely. So a little bit of the pop culture here and there. So back to business, gentlemen. So first off, we're going to start into the rundown. The rundown. So to start off, the silver and black will come back to Oakland for 2019, at least. Per NFL.com, the Raiders and the Coliseum Authority have reached an agreement for the team to remain in Oakland for the 2019 season, per NFL media insider Ian Rappaport. Moving on to some re-signing news, the Cleveland Browns are re-signing offensive lineman Greg Robinson. Former second overall pick from the Rams in 2014, Robinson played seven games for Cleveland in 2018, earning praise from quarterback Baker Mayfield for his play after a Week 9 loss to the Chiefs. Moving on to the notable cut section of the rundown, after just one season, the Michael Crabtree experience has ended in Baltimore. The Ravens are releasing veteran wideout, the veteran wideout after producing 54 catches for 607 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Crabtree signed a three-year, $21 million deal in March 2018 with the Ravens. He was slated to make $5 million in 2019. The Bears are already moving on from their 2018 wildcard defeat to the Philadelphia Eagles by cutting the man that caused it. Kicker Cody Parkey is set to be released by the Bears once the new league year starts on March 13th. Parkey's last kick with the Bears was a 43-yard field goal attempt that bounced off the left upright, then the crossbar, and then fell down to the ground. Other notable cuts slash releases include Dolphins defensive end Robert Quinn, Panthers defensive backs Captain Munderland and Mike Adams, Bears tight end Deion Sims, and Cowboys wide receiver Terrence Williams. Meanwhile, the Bengals have given up on their former seventh overall pick. Per Ian Rappaport, the Bengals are looking to trade speedy wideout John Ross. Ross had an NFL scouting combine record in 2017 by running a 4-2-2 on a 40-yard dash. In just two years with Cincinnati, 
Ross amassed 21 catches for 210 yards and seven touchdowns. Fun fact, all those yards he amassed were in the 2018 season. He did not play in 2017 due to injury. In suspension news, Cowboys defensive end Randy Gregory was suspended again, this time indefinitely by the NFL. He was suspended for violating the league's substance abuse policy in the terms of his conditional reinstatement. Gregory was slated to enter the final year of his rookie deal. And finally, some breaking news. Eagles quarterback Nick Foles will not be tagged by the Eagles. Per Adam Schefter, Foles will be allowed to become a free agent and sign freely with any team. Latest speculation has the Super Bowl MVP landing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that concludes the rundown. Oh, Jerome. I hear that, man. You don't like this this Nick Foles news? No. As an Eagles fan, you know, I would love us to get some kind of conversation from him. Uh, I think that, you know, he's such a good quarterback. You have to get something for a quarterback. It's a quarterback. It's the, the most prized possession in football. Like, you need a quarterback. And just to have a good quarterback that won a Super Bowl just walk and get absolutely nothing for him, yes, I get the, the picks that you can get next year for him. But I just think, like, you should tag him and trade him or something. I, I, and I just feel like they're trying to be too nice to him. It's a business. It's a business. It is a business, but at the same time, the man that not only brought Philly their first Super Bowl in franchise history, but also almost retired from football completely the year before, you know, like he deserves a chance to lead a franchise. Uh, he's tired of being behind Carson Wentz the whole time. Sure, he works in the Eagle system, and he didn't really flourish when he was with the Rams or the Chiefs for that matters, but this might be a second chance for him to actually, you know, like prove that he's not a commodity of the Eagle system that he is his own true quarterback. Chris, what do you think about it? I think it was the right move by Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson for him to move on from Nick. You really don't the Eagles really don't have a lot of cap space to work with to begin with, so and plenty of NFL teams were just calling on the Eagles bluff like, all right, fine, we're just gonna tag him and trade him. And the Eagles really didn't have enough cap space to try to maneuver that and be like, okay, why would we trade for him? let them take the cap hit and let them suffer. Or we could just call them on their bluff. They're not going to tag them at all. And we could just get them for the price that we want to get, to get them. So in the end, both sides get what they want. Nick finally gets a second opportunity to prove that he can lead a franchise to some wins outside of Philadelphia. I mean, the whole thing was uh, the Rams when they were in St. Louis with Jeff Fisher was an absolute mess. But yeah, uh, the Eagles have to move on. Carson Wentz is the guy and, and now it's Carson Wentz's time to prove it. Nick Foles leaves a glaring hole at backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, which, funny enough, transcends us into our first topic of the day, which is team needs. There's going to be an eight-part segment that we're going to be doing with the Air It Out podcast. So the first week that we're going to be doing this with is the NFC East. We all, we all know the teams there, the Eagles, the Giants, and Cowboys, and, the, and Washington's team. So And we divided this section into two groups. We got Jerome covering the Giants and the Eagles, and we got Chris covering the Cowboys and the Redskins. Now, there are glaring needs on every single team. For We'll start with Jerome's needs right now for the Giants and the Eagles. Jerome, the Giants are in desperate need of a lot of things. An offensive tackle to defend D-line Manning, uh, some defensive backs because Len Collins is leaving, wide receivers because not because Odell is not always the answer, and Nathan Shepard, uh, not sorry, Sterling Shepard has not held up his end of the bargain. And, of course, 
backup quarterback to try to keep insurance behind Eli Manning. Over by the Eagles, you have the cornerback position that's been decimated by injury last year. Running back position because Jay Ajayi is injury prone and not the, as reliable as the back as he used to be. Offensive line issues and finally defensive tackle. So, Jerome, start us off. All right, I'm going to start off with the Giants. Um, I think their number one need, and as everybody most likely will say, is that they need a quarterback. The quarterback position needs to be addressed, uh, especially with Odell Beckham. You got a really good running back now. I think that they need to have the man in place. And like I was saying earlier about the quarterbacks, it's the most marquee spot in NFL. Like You need to have that spot solidified and I think that that's their biggest need, and I will go right after that. We'll probably be offensive line. You can't put everything on Eli last year because his offensive line was terrible. I do think that they can survive a little bit more with the offensive line the way it is with having a Saquon. Um, now that everybody's going to be kind of low in the box now, trying to get him, and then you still have Odell on the outside. Um, I think that getting a quarterback first is your number one priority for the Giants. Um, obviously, they have other needs. Like you said, um, safety is going to be one if they don't re-sign uh, Landon Collins. Um, defensive line, they can improve with that. Um, they're more of a defensive team in general, but they're leaning more to their offense. As you see, you know, like I said, Saquon, Odell, they also got the tight end, um, Ingram as a weapon out there. I'm not going to say they need they need a wide receiver that badly. Yes, they have Odell. He's the number one receiver. Um, I think Sterling Shepard is still a uh, good, reliable wide receiver. I don't think he's a number two per se. Like, he's more of a slot receiver. But I think with the other weapons that they're, they're fine with what they got as far as um, wide receiver-wise. And for the Giants, there's a lot of marquee – free agents that can go after. In terms mm-hmm. of linemen, you have Trent Brown, Jawan James, mm-hmm. Donovan Smith, Daryl Williams, and defensive back is a deep, deep uh, market this year. Uh, Bashar Breland, Bryce Callahan, Ronald Darby, Morris Claiborne. Uh, who do you think is the number one free agent for the Giants to go after? Um, their own guy, um, Landon Collins. I mean, he's very productive. I think he's very productive in our defense. Um, if they get an, like another safety to kind of complement with him, but I think, like, Landon Collins is, like, their marquee guy that they need, they need to um, lock up. All right. Now, let's just go over to uh, Philly for a second with the Eagles. Like we mentioned before, their needs are pretty substantial as well on the line, the running back, cornerback, defensive tackle. So what do you think is the most glaring hole for the Eagles? Being an Eagles fan yourself, you, you might know, like, have a little bit more insight to this than any of us do. Yeah, and um, a lot of, I hear a lot of people saying cornerback, I'm hearing a lot of people say running back, but I'm going to personally say defensive lineman. Um, you got to think that the Eagles have their three best productive um, defensive linemen are over 30, 30 plus. Um, even with Brandon Graham, if he does come back, he's going to be 31, I believe. Um, so you're kind of getting long in the tooth at that position. Yes, you got um, Derek Barnett, but he's the only young one that you kind of have in that rotation. So I think that getting another defensive lineman is probably your best bet. And I'll probably go toward the draft on that. Um, the Eagles don't have a big um, salary cap, so I don't think they're going to go really big at defensive end. I mean, who knows? They might. But Harry Roseman is really good at um, maneuvering money here and there and getting you know the player that he wants. So we'll see how that goes. But I think 
in a draft defensive lineman, if if there's somebody at the spot at 25, I think that's the number one spot. Um, right after defensive lineman, I'll probably say offensive lineman. You know, you got uh, Jason Kelsey. There's rumors about him retiring. You got Jason Peters. Um, I don't think he wants to retire, but he might be forced to retire if the Eagles don't try to restructure his contract. Um, you got Brandon Brooks that coming off of the injury. So offensive line is an issue going into next year, especially, like I said, with the um, the guys that might retire. You want to get younger there anyway. So um, they have some backups that they, you know, they like in-house. I don't think any of those guys are, you know, set in stone replacements for um, their starters. So I think that that's the second spot. Um, cornerback, I think you survive a cornerback, um, especially if you get you get that defensive line set, like I said. Uh, I think Sidney Jones, if he comes back, um, you should be fine. If he t- comes back good, I think he, he, a lot of people kind of criticize him. Um, you got to kind of remember that was pretty much his rookie year, and he was playing on a hamstring most of the year, which he was coming in and out of the lineup. So I can't put too much stock into last year for him, and that was his first year coming off of that Achilles uh, injury. Let me um, do a name real quick uh, in terms yeah. of a good free agency because, like, running back is a glaring issue mm-hmm. for the Eagles. Lev Bell could he could he be an Eagle? Mm, I would say no. Um, again, salary cap issues. Eagles are more, and they proved this the last two years. They're more of a rotational kind of um, running backs position. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles get a running back within the, the first three rounds, honestly. But I can't see them going high value um, money wise for a running back position. Would I love to see Le'Veon here? Oh, of course. Oh, I don't think anybody would like hate to see him come in. But do I really see that happening? No, no. All right, all right. Well, all other major names in the running back market include Mark Ingram, Spencer Ware, and C.J. Anderson. In terms of defensive tackles, I have a list for you right here too: Henry Anderson, Marcus Hunt. Uh, we also have Grady Jarrett and. Uh, from the Rams, the Dominican suit. Any of those names sound appealing to you? Well, the runner back position, I think that if they do decide to go free agency with it, I think it's going to be one or one of two guys. I think it's going to be either either Tyler Coleman or like a Mark Ingram. Uh, I think those two are more of the type of running backs they, they will probably bring in. But I highly don't think they get a running back in free agency. I think they're going to go the draft route with that. Uh, so right, so moving on, we're going to the other half of the NFC, of the NFC East. We got the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins. Uh, Chris, you'll be taking over for that. So we'll start off with the Cowboys right now. Major needs in terms of weapons for uh, Dak Prescott in the, both the tight end position and wide receiver position. And over on defense, it's pretty stellar already with a young core linebackers and Leighton Vanderish and Smith. Uh, but we but we also need more. Uh, depth in defensive tackle and safety. So, Chris, what do you got for me? Before your last point, I was going to tackle um, defensive line simply because now with the re- another suspension happening to Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence um, coming up for a new contract if they franchise tag him, that's almost twenty million you're committing to him. So they're really going to have to tackle that defensive line like ASAP because there's really not a lot of depth there. Uh, Taco Charlton, I believe, coming out of Michigan, really still hasn't shown up yet. Uh, Tyrone Crawford is is solid, but not a premier player. But when you look at Dallas and the success they've had over the years in terms of drafting homegrown talent on defense, 
they've just about hit on every single one, every single body on that defense, and even their starters on offense. 21 out of the 22 starters are all homegrown. The only one is Amari Cooper, and you traded the first-round pick for him. So I think it's Dallas. They have a lot of contracts coming up. Obviously, they have Dak Prescott coming up. You have Zeke Elliott coming up, Randy Gregory, and Amari Cooper coming up. So that's going to be a lot of money going to be committed to them. But with Dallas, draft, uh, with the draft coming up, they don't have a first-round pick, so they're going to have to do with a mid-second-round pick. They're probably one of the deepest defensive drafts in NFL history. They're just going to have to find a way to make some magic work and get somebody on that defensive line to help out Randy Gregory. Let me let me read up a couple names for you in terms of uh, who might fill in Randy Gregory's position. So in terms of Ed Rusher, Galanza, Shaquille Barrett, Frank Clark, Jadavian Clowney, Trey Flowers, D. Ford, and Dante Fowler, just to name some of the big marquee names in the position. And in terms of interior defensive linemen, which I feel they need more depth in, we have Christian Covington, Mario Edwards, Marcus Hunt, Grady Jarrett, and Henry Anderson. Any of those names sound like something the Cowboys will go after. A lot of these are pretty old guys in terms of really reaching their late 20s, early 30s, but could they take a chance? Especially in the defensive line department, none of those names sound really appealing. I think one name that you really have to like be on the lookout for is that I heard in a few weeks back that the Buccaneers were possibly considering cutting uh, Gerald McCoy for cap casualty reasons. So... If that were still to happen, then Dallas will definitely try to be on the radar for that. Gerald McCoy is a former All-Pro, former Pro Bowler. He's fairly good at getting at the quarterback and stopping the run. So you add him and you tag Randy Gregory, then you're just going to wreak havoc on just about every other quarterback in the NFC. Now moving on to the offensive side of the ball for the Dallas Cowboys. Two positions in particular, wide receiver and tight ends. Tight ends, there's really only four major names in the market. Jared Cook, Tyler Eifert, Austin Safari Jenkins. Daryl Williams, and for wide receivers, some of the some of the major big body receivers I feel they need to complement Amari Cooper. I found a couple: Kelvin Benjamin, Des Bryant, Golden Tate. Not t- entirely in size, but more of a possession receiver. And in terms of a speedster, Eli Rogers. What do you think, uh, Chris? Do any of those names sound particular for the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> I wish you guys could see his smirk right now. <laughs> he just fit on. But go ahead, Chris. <laughs> I, I um, back on Des Bryant, my bad, guys. <laughs> I could have. Um, Tyler Heifert is actually a pretty solid tight end when healthy. If I think also a change of scenery also definitely needs to be happening. I don't know what's going on in the with the medical staff over at the uh, in Cincinnati, but every single year to go, it's just they get bum rush with injuries. Andy Dalton's always missing games. Joe Mixon had to miss a few games. A.J. Green always ends up on IR, like almost every single year for the past two years. And Tyler Eifert is just a has been taking that same trip Jordan Reed does every year in Washington. So I think it's time that Eifert is healthy. I think he'll definitely help out that deck because I think the most prominent thing a, a, a young quarterback definitely needs is a reliable pass-catching tight end. And what about for wide receiver? I don't think none of those – I don't see Dallas um, going after any of those guys. I think they'll probably try to get Michael Gallup back, and I think they'll definitely try to get somebody in the uh, in the mid rounds of the draft. They don't have a lot of cap room to, to play with, and you already consider how unhappy Cole Beasley has pretty much has said on Twitter about like about how Jerry Jones and like the rest of the Dallas dictates on who gets the ball. So 
I think with that going public, I think it's going to probably shy away some potential targets for Dak Prescott to get. All right, well, moving out of Dallas and heading over to our country's capital with the Washington Redskins, the needs there, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, offensive linemen need to be retooled. Wide receivers are needed to increase weaponry. Uh, but the most glaring spot I see is the quarterback position. Alex Smith, his career in jeopardy with a horrific leg injury. And Mark Sanchez was not the answer. Josh Johnson was not the answer either. So with Nick Foles entering the quarterback market, who do you think will lead Washington in 2019? I think the perfect phrase for Washington's quarterback situation going into all season is uh, is hell. They, Alex Smith has had a really unfortunate injury, and none of the guys that they brought in, Colt McCoy, Josh Johnson, Mark Sanchez, and none of the answers. I wasn't surprised if, it wouldn't shock me at all if they try to take a stab at Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Teddy Bridgewater is, he started and won football games in, up in uh, Minnesota. He started in a playoff game for Minnesota. He spent a year under learning um, Drew Brees and Sean Payton, so I think he's going to go in this offseason and wants another opportunity to start. And with no real quarterback competition in Washington because of all the injuries and uncertainty for everybody else, it wouldn't surprise me if Teddy Bridgewater goes there and just be the unanimous starter for 2019. Based on the tape, we can say that Teddy Bridgewater is just a much more mobile Alex Smith. Yeah. He doesn't go for the deep ball completely. He played the West Coast offense really well, and he, and he scrambles when he needs to, but he doesn't necessarily rely on his legs too much. Could, so what would it take for uh, Dan Snyder to, let, to land Bridgewater in Washington? Well, you're obviously paying a lot now. Getting a starting quarterback are like a premium now. You saw um, Sam Bradford get almost $17 million, $20 million from Arizona, only to be cut like midway through half of the season. So I believe like at least $10 million should definitely be interested enough for Teddy Bridgewater to head to Washington. And if that happens, don't be surprised. Washington was leading the division with Alex Smith. They were 6-2 and two before that injury happened. And not to mention they're getting Darius Strikes back, uh, their second-round running back from LSU, who in my opinion should have been a first-round pick. Draft class last year was such low that running back, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, Darius Geis, Jaquan Barkley. But um, and also some decent wide receivers. Jordan Reed is finally healthy. Vernon Davis is a really good uh, number two option at tight end. Uh, Paul Richardson, Maurice Harris, uh, Jameson Crowder, John Stockson. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, if, if he's healthy, um, he could definitely make something work with um, the pieces already there. And you also talk about Jay Gruden, who's one of the more underrated quarterback gurus. He's gotten the best years out of Kirk Cousins. And last year, um, Alex Smith was having... Not a career year, but he was doing just enough to almost win in the division before the injury. Well, they are planning to get Bridgewater. They might have to put some people around him in terms of just overall protection because that offensive line has gone through injuries and name road changes a lot. So a couple of names I got here for you. Trent Brown, Jawan James, Donovan Smith, Daryl Williams as the offensive tackles. And then within the guard slash centers, you got Raymond Foster, Mitch Morse, Matt Paradis, and Roger Saffold. I don't really have a lot of faith in these names a lot, mostly because mostly because of the teams that they've played for and how they've held up their respective quarterbacks. But do any of these sound good enough to play for Washington? It's, man, I'm, that's, that's rough. And that <laughs> offensive line in Washington is rough too. Um, Trent Williams is one of the top five left tackles, but he keeps um, getting injured and not able to finish games. And the rest of the offensive line has just been – 
in and out of uh, injured reserve every almost every single year. I think you probably just have to do your do your homework in a draft. I'm not gonna sit here and try to commit a lot of money into into an offensive lineman that's inconsistent. And I know that I'm not gonna expect a lot of. I'm not gonna pull like the Giants did with Nate Solder. All right, all right. That's that's a fair point. All right, and you know, I like that when you mentioned about Darius guys coming back. You know, from that hurt from his knee injury, it's really sucked that he lost. He was one of the better uh, running backs to come out of last year's draft. It sucks he can just show it onto the field. So I'm glad to see like a, a running back, a, a running back getting another chance. Speaking of running backs getting another chance, we're moving from the NFL to the AAF, specifically with one player in particular, Birmingham Irons running back Trent. Richardson, we all remember this name, former third Ooh. overall, <laughs> former third overall pick by the Cleveland Browns in 2012. Had a stellar rookie season, 950 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns with a 3.6 yard per carry to- uh, stat. And then, for some reason, the Browns traded Richardson to the Indianapolis Colts in the middle of the 2013 season. And from 2013 to 2014, this was his stat. These were his stats. 1,082 total rushing yards and six touchdowns with a 3.1 yards per carry stat. So that's about so that's just over 500 yards per season with the Browns and the Coles in 2013-2014. That what that first off before we jump into how he's doing now, let's just focus on Trent Richardson back then. Jerome, I want to start with you on this. Um, Trent Richardson before he left, he was not that good, right? Mm-mm. And I was kind of surprised how you said um, he was traded for some reason. There was a reason. <laughs> there was a good reason. Um, the guy, his vision was terrible. Um, he has the makings of being a good running back, but his vision, um, and I don't know if that was just the rookie thing where things are moving too fast for him and the playbook was too big for him at the moment, but um, there was film on him where he would there would be a glazing hole and he wouldn't cut to the hole. He'll like run in back of his own lineman. Like it was that bad of a uh, it was, his vision was terrible. So that was the main reason why he didn't really pan out. His running as a running back, you need to have good good vision. That's probably your biggest thing that you need as a running back. Um, you can be a slow running back, but if you don't have if you don't have vision. You can't get through those holes. Um, if you if you're a slow running back and you have a good vision, you can get through those holes. But like if you don't, you can't. And he he's fast enough. He's strong enough. He showed it. He, it his vision was just terrible. So, all right, Chris, what do you think of Chad Richardson when he was in the NFL? Solid rookie year, but yeah, after that he just completely fell off the face of the earth for mainly the same reasons Jerome said. His vision was terrible. The, like whenever I think of Trent Richardson, I just think of that picture in which he had a wide open lane to the end zone, and yet he just wouldn't take it at all and just ran it right back to the offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he's a power back, and I don't know. I've never seen a running back with that ter- that much terrible vision. I don't know if it was him playing in Alabama with Nick Saban and that offensive line that just gave him multiple holes to decipher, but. When they get into the NFL and just seeing only one hole, the fact that he just didn't jump right on it was probably just still the biggest mystery for any running back I've ever seen. All right, so we all so we all know that his NFL career wasn't exactly stellar. Went to the Raiders, 
became a meme when that picture of him uh, choosing the wrong hole in an offensive line went viral. Went to the CFL for a year or two. Couldn't make it out of football for another year or two. And then when the AAF was starting up, and you check out the Birmingham Iron, you see the name Trent Richardson as the running back. And you shouldn't be surprised. A lot of people shouldn't be surprised by that. He was in Alabama from college. And, you know, AAF stipulates that any college players from around that area could play for that team. And here, uh, here's our Richardson stats so far with the Birmingham Iron. In just three games, he has six touchdowns. And that's two times more than the Nets' leading running back. But only 145 rushing yards, and he averages about 2.5 yards per carry, and that's off of 57 carries. He leads the AAF in carries. So he's ranked sixth among running backs in rushing yards this season out of 53 players with a registered rush. And that's in a league with eight teams. So to beat six, the sixth leading rusher among eight teams, that's really not a good sign. Uh, not at all. Uh, but he's still first in rushing touchdowns, like we mentioned. So I'll start off with Chris on this one. Chris, does Trent Richardson deserve another chance in the National Football League? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Does he deserve another chance? I don't see why not. He hasn't broken any laws or be detrimental out off the field in terms of trying to get another opportunity. Will he get another opportunity? No. Um I just don't see another team because running backs have such a short self life in terms of like age. By the time Trent Richardson like tries to get another job and he's gonna be in, he's gonna be like in his late twenties entering his thirties and that's a major red flag for just about any team in terms of signing a running back that old. That's true. Plus since he is a power back, uh he is prone to getting hit a lot and that takes quite a lot of damage to the body as it advances. Uh, Jerome what do you think? Maybe not. Maybe the Zerb wasn't the best choice of words, but should Chen Richardson get a chance at, at the National Football League again, talent-wise? Every, I think everybody deserves one, and I think that's the whole reason for this AAF um, league to uh, you know evaluate them, reevaluate them. Uh, I don't think that he's going to go on a roster and be get tons of money. I think he'll get the the bare minimum. So, will I think that? He will be on a roster? I think so, yeah, because he's doing really well in this league. Um, you know, and you get you want to give somebody another chance. Um, he'll probably get his, his chance again. I don't think you need to have him as a bell cow running back. Um, he'll probably be a rotational guy. You have him in there for certain situations. See how he, how he does during um, training camp and, you know, just evaluate how, how it is from there. I, I really do think he's going to get a chance. Do I think he's going to be good? Honestly, no. I, um, will he be a number, number one running back? No, honestly. But, you know, give him the bare minimum, you know, uh, test out how he does in training camp, see how he does in pre- uh, preseason, make him number two or number three running back behind a good running back, and, you know, see how it goes from there. You never know. But um, I do think he'll – I think he'll make it back in the league eventually. And, you know – I don't know how else to transition to the next piece that we're about to do, but uh, I'll just give it my best to go straight into it. It's the story everyone's been talking about. It's something we can't avoid. It's something we have to talk about. Uh, it's the Robert Kraft story. Uh, for those that don't know, or if you live under a rock, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft was charged with soliciting a prostitute in a Florida spa. The 77-year-old widower faces up to a year in jail if convicted 
of the two mis of the two misdemeanor charges. Kraft will also be required to pay a five thousand dollar fine, do a hundred hours of community service, and attend a class on human trafficking. Through a spokesperson, Kraft has denied engaging in quote any illegal activity. Now, first off, uh, Chris, I want to start off with you on this one. Just in about a minute or so, give me a quick reaction on the story. I just, I really have no words for this. I just find it funny how, yeah, once again, that, I got no story. I got no words for this. I never expected about this. <laughs> I just, um, He's really shocked just once again shows the, Yeah, I think it just again shows the hypocrisy of the NFL is that Jim Mercy can go ahead and get DIYs. Uh, Dream Hunt and Ruben Foster can get into domestic disputes and still get second opportunities. Robert Kraft can go ahead and do this. And yet, yet if you, I hate to bring this up again, but yet if you conduct yourself in a silent protest, not hurting anybody at all, you get blackballed from the league. And I think it's about time that we stop trying to paint the NFL as like a moral compass and more importantly, we need to start holding uh, more particularly owners who are the faces of the league into higher accountability in the league. Right, Jerome, what do you think? Man, it's I feel like there's every year for like the last ten years, there's always something with the Patriots. Always, always something with the Patriots. I don't know if it's just because there wasn't a limelight now because they, you know, getting all these championships, always going to the Super Bowl. I don't know, but it's just always something with them and we have to get some kind of punishment for this. There's no way that we can just be like, oh, slap on a wrist, give him $500,000 fine, which I'm which I'm here. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's nothing. This guy's a billionaire. He's an owner. You have to, you got to figure out something. You got to pit it where it hurts. Take away some draft picks, something. Like, you can't just slap him on a wrist with a little, you know, dinky fine. Because that's like a, that kind of fine for him is like a $2.50 fine for a normal person. Like that is, that's nothing to him. So he's the owner. He had to be accountable for it. And other than that, I don't have much other to put into it, but I really think the league should really crack down on this. So I don't know. All right. That is actually what I wanted to ask you guys about. Like in terms of legality, uh, in the eyes of the law, that is for a judge, jury, and for the proverbial executioner to determine in terms of Robert Kraft as a private citizen, um, as an NFL owner it's himself, we've seen we've seen we've seen a precedent to this type of th- to something to something like this. Not exactly not exactly this, but something like it. Uh, when we saw Jerry Richardson, the former owner of the Carolina Panthers, having to sell the Panthers in the midst of sexual. Uh, harassment accusations within the Panthers community. Then we had the owner from the LA Clippers having to sell his team among racist remarks that he made and that were recorded. This is just a whole new field that we're entering to in terms of, you know, we've seen owners get caught in prostitution solicitations. Anyone remember the Super Bowl with the Falcons and the Broncos? Well, would know what I'm talking about there. Um, but in terms of an owner himself, so much and Robert Kraft is one of the most influential owners in the NFL. Influential in the sense that he has been able to turn a lot of the owners against uh, the commissioner Roger Goodell because of how far his reach goes. But this is the chance for the NFL to really, really make an example out of out of an owner. So 
they're licking their chops just to see like what they can do. So in your guys' opinions, uh, Chris, I want to start off with you. What should happen? What should the league do to punish Robert Kraft? I think you got to hit him where it hurts. Um, the same way back when the Patriots got called during the Spygate scandal, you got to take away some draft picks away. Mm-hmm. Maybe a first or a pick will just bring the message clear about that you can't do this certain kind of stuff and just get away with it. All right, Jerome, what do you think? Like I said earlier, um, draft picks are probably the uh, <laughs> the way they'll go and they need to go. But honestly, I think that would be the least thing they, they should do. I mean, like you say, in, in, in the NBA, they uh, they forced out an owner. And um, I don't think that's going to happen because who he is, Robert Kraft is like a pioneer inside the um, NFL. But um, like something like this, like he could go to jail for this. Like this is jail time. He can be facing so in a case like this like that's not representing the shield like you always talking about protecting the shield and stuff you got to protect the shield and you got to you know make an example of something like this for you know all your fans and things like that um i think it's gonna it's, it's gonna be very interesting the next couple of days so who's offering a final comment with the story we've seen controversy Behind the head coach in 2007 with Spygate. We've seen controversy behind the quarterback with the flake in 2013. Now we're seeing controversy from the owner mm-hmm. in 2019. I know the media is going to come up with some sort of catchy little gate-esque sort of nickname to it. I really don't want to contribute to it because I think this is a really disgusting uh, story in and of itself. But... I will say one thing that the Patriots have had issues with, not in terms of success or in terms of working with the rules. They've had issues with morality. And, you know, they say all the te- all teams cheat. It's only the good ones that get caught. Uh, if all teams cheat, that's an even sadder reality that we live in. And the Patriots are the, uh, are just doing it badly. <laughs> or bad enough that they're always getting caught for it. Because they're always under a microscope. I mean, you always have to be 19 years and six championships. You will be under the microscope mm-hmm. consistently. Uh, but... You know, when you see the, it's it's literally a, a totem pole. It something's wrong with the quarterback, something's wrong with the coach, something's wrong with the coach, something's wrong with the owner, and where does it go from there? It honestly just doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop soon. And if the Patriots, even even with all this controversy, and all this bad press, the Patriots are still going to be winning. People are still going to want to play for them. Half of Boston even is defending Robert Kraft's uh, motive, saying that he only went in there just for a happy ending. He it's not like he was doing the the human trafficking. We don't know. There's no conclusion to that yet. So it's it's frustrating to see this happen because as journalists, as sports journalists especially, we're not focused completely on the morality of these stories. We're focused more on how it affects the game itself. But as human beings, we got to also step back for a second and just realize how bad this is in terms of humanity and in terms of you know our own morals. And that's where I kind of want to end it there. That will conclude this week's episode of the Air Dot Podcast. Remember, you can check us out on our website at InsideTheHashes.com. Uh, we also have, we're also on Facebook with Inside the Hashes, on Instagram at, at InsideTheHashes, and Twitter at InsideHashes. Thank you guys for listening. My name is Juan Garina. I was joined by Chris Thomas and our CEO, Jerome Jones. Y'all have a good day now.